Okay, so first of all, John, thank you for allowing me to uh, spend some time with you, taking some time off of your schedule, off of your life. Um, I was so excited when uh, I chatted with your daughter, and I was like, oh, please, please, may I request to chat with him, you know, because... Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people like I know I'm supposed to help, but there's part of me that I'm in, my thoughts were influenced by things I hear from people, and not necessarily with my experience because I have no experience about things. And this is really the first time I'm actually talking to like a, a testimony like yourself. So for me, I was like, oh my goodness, this would just like one, help me understand. But not only that, help people that would listen in. Yeah. So I'm really, really excited. So uh, first of all, Mr. John, I'm sorry, pardon me if I say Mr. once in a while. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, please uh, give us a little bit of your, um, your childhood background. Maybe we can start. Or is that something okay for you to share with us? A little bit of background? Yes, I was born in 1951. And I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, and I was born to uh, Estes Ware, that's my father, and Louise Ware, my mother. My uh, dad, when I was born, he was a pharmacist, and he had a pharmacy called Metropolitan Pharmacy. And my mom was a key punch operator, and uh, my dad sold the pharmacy and uh, started back to school and went to school to become a doctor. And uh, yes, uh, Dr. Estes J. Ware. And... Uh, my mother uh, basically went back to school and became a nurse, so I came from a medical family, basically. I had a sister. She was seven years old when I was born, and uh, she was not very happy because she wanted to be the only child, so I kind of spoiled everything for her. So one of my things, when, as a child, I was uh, five years old, I'd sit on the porch and I could name off cars and they went by. We lived on a very busy street. Uh, 1442 University was the address, and I'd name off cars, like there goes a Plymouth, there goes a Packard, there goes a Pontiac. And uh, I really knew, uh, I, re I always had a love for cars. So growing up as a teenager, I did a lot of, you know, uh, dreaming about muscle cars because we had the Camaros, the Mustangs, the Chargers, you know, the Cudas. And so I had actually owned a car when I was a teenager. Uh, my first car was that convertible. I had an F85 Oldsmobile, and then I had a Mustang GT, and then I had a Super B, and then I had a Z28. So I had a bunch of muscle cars. You had a great collection there. Yes, indeedy. And so, you know, I went to school at Lincoln High School back in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, one day, uh, driving from the game, I ran into two girls, or three girls, actually. I had two buddies with me. And uh, one of them turned out to end up being my wife. So I met Pamela J. after a basketball game going down the street. So that was kind of exciting. Uh, <laughs> That was my childhood, basically. You know, I, uh, you know, I graduated Lincoln High School and uh, got married and had a, a daughter, Tori. Uh, 1972, there was a, we were in a uh, fire in a four-story building and we had to jump out. And uh, my daughter was born two days later, so that was kind of a unique 
situation there. So, and then we ended up moving out in the country. We lived in uh, Swan, Iowa. And a few years uh, later, in 1976, my daughter Chantel was born. And then two years later, I have a son, Estes John Ward III. He was born. So. And uh, we get down the country, and uh, I worked in town. I worked at a printing shop. And uh, we uh, had like a little hobby farm. We raised uh, animals. We had, uh, you know, dogs and cats, but we also had hogs. We had uh, 11 hogs, and we had cattle. And I had a little tractor. We had a garden. We cut firewood. And we had a three-level house on two acres of land. So we had uh, quite a big wood pile we had uh, going on. So, And the children went to Pleasantville High School, or Pleasantville School System. So they really uh, had a, uh, a really good school to go to. So, Thank you. And yeah. that and got me to, like, really get this foundation of question. So... Of course, I've only been on this earth for about close to 35 years. Right. So my life experience is still minimal at this point. <laughs> and this is what I appreciate about these conversations because I really truly believe that you guys are walking treasures for us. And, and to a point where if people has done it, they had, these are their challenges and this is how they resolve it. Why do I need to really go through the process if I can just understand the process and then skip the heartache? Okay. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my thought. Although sometimes, and most of the time, I am personally hard-headed, even though the way has been shown, uh, actually walking it sometimes is still a, a challenge and a struggle because there's that fight the fight of the right path and, and the fight within myself, which is my imperfection and my personal desires. And still the, the mind is still growing and maturing and, and really uh, setting up that mindset. So going back to your uh, upbringing. So this is very interesting because most people, or there's some, there's some conversation where, it's important to have the right foundation in the household. Then that would determine uh, the, the success and life of the children. And with your, with your upbringing, it is really your typical, you know, hardworking parents having great careers and having children. So you're, 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 for, being, for coming from a medical field and your parents having a great profession, growing up uh did you did you know feel that you had the right foundation with the with the parents that that you grew up with well i did have wonderful parents and uh my dad was a very busy person you know he was a doctor and he had a lot of house calls to make you know back then they did house calls they didn't just have people come to the offices and so he was a surgeon so he did a lot of I called at nighttime quite a bit, you know, for emergency surgeries or someone having children. So he was a very busy man. So if I understand, uh, Mr. John, really w the way you grew up is very normal, like very regular type of upbringing because you were raised up by your parents right. um, who are, in my opinion, successful already to provide for the family and also impacting people's lives others by in the medical field that's huge yeah. um so you grew up already that way and then you went to school had also a great job 
So you really went through a normal, prosperous life. So, which brings me to the question. Thank you for sharing us with your childhood. Because my thoughts of this, this uh, interview is, is how, how did a person get to that point, which is being homeless? And then how did that person from being homeless get to where you are today, which yeah. is successful, prosperous, and impactful, and, and, and really paying forward and changing the community? So with that timeline that you shared of your life from birth to having three kids and, and having a family, you lived a very normal American life. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So the typical stereotype was there was addiction, there was um, post-traumatic events, um, a lot of like possibly mental challenge, uh, mindset challenge, uh, something tragic happened for a person to come to uh, homelessness. So was that the case for you? Well, how did, what was the, um, the pre, like what was happening to get you to the point of, of being homeless? Well, like I said, we had, I was married with three children. Everything was happily. Uh, my youngest child got 12 years old. The uh, former wife started working outside the home. And uh, she ended up didn't want to be married anymore, so we got divorced. And so for seven years, I did well. You know, I worked my job. You know, I, I uh, had my hobbies, and uh, I got involved in a prison ministry, and I met a girl in prison, and uh, when she got out of prison, I ended up uh, letting her move in my house, and she was uh, into crack cocaine. So I came home one day, and she's, you know, with her friends, and I started uh, doing the drug, and within six months, I lost my job, and uh, she was very abusive. She punched me in my face and everything, and uh, my sister basically came from Colorado to save her brother, so she, you know, took me back to Colorado, or took me to Colorado, and uh, I got a job, and I sold my home, and basically, uh, I still wanted to get high at some point, you know, so I went on the streets of uh, Denver, and I started getting high again, and I was living with my sister, and my sister got tired of me, you know, bringing people home and everything, so she kicked me out of the, in the, in the, of the house, so I, was, I ended up being homeless on the streets. And so a week before I became homeless, there were uh, two men that were killed with their heads cut off. And I was working right down where it happened. I was in a four-story building. I looked in the field, and I seen the face over there. There was a gang from Highlands Ranch. Uh, they were coming up, and they were killing homeless men. They killed eight of them total. And so, like I said, the next week, I was homeless. So uh, when I became homeless, I was, like, sleeping on the street. So I'd sleep out of the Capitol. And uh, on the heat vent at 5 o'clock in the morning, the state police come by and tell me to move on. And then it got to the point where... I was sleeping underneath bushes because uh, I'd lost my job in construction. And uh, I was sleeping underneath bushes, and the, my, the birds would sing and would be on my alarm clock. And so I'm living on the streets and uh, working day labor, and then I end up uh, eventually uh, living in motels on Colfax, which I was still homeless. I was sharing a room with another guy, and uh, you know, my, my addiction, I couldn't get out of it. I was living in a high crime area where there were a lot of drug addicts, a lot of drug, uh, drug dealers, and a lot of you know different things going on. Where I I tried to go a couple of days or a couple of weeks and I couldn't get you know 
Wow. Um, oh, thank you again for sharing, uh, Mr. John. Um, so from, my, from the story that you mentioned, that you said, from, from my point, what started it was the divorce. Well, actually, it happened seven years after the divorce. But because uh, I was doing very well, I just I just met the wrong person, and I should and I should have and I was told not to give my phone number away, but I broke the rules and I gave her my phone number, so she started calling me, and then we started writing on the uh, letters back and forth while she was in prison. Wow, it reminded me of Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, we are complicated, aren't we? We're very like powerful women. If only we can use our power very positively. So it wasn't the divorce, but it was it was a it was a lady. Yes indeed. And it was a lady that was not a great influence. That's true. And that started because of like you said, like breaking the rules. Yes. So, I guess the ministry that you were doing, the prison ministry that you were involved in, so you already have a reaching out of heart. You have the heart to reach out. You have a heart already to help others. And in a way, it, it kind of slightly backfired with the wrong person. Right. And, and another thing, I was, I, was, I was starting to have some little issues at work with some things. And so when I went home and she was getting high, I, I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of, forget about things and, and so it was kind of like a two-point thing it was kind of like my, my work environment that i was dealing with and then coming into her environment where she was at and so the two together was devastating to my life so you um with your story is just really justifies again the principle of bad association ruins good habit that's true it's so impactful that it really changes your life in a in, in a negative way it might not be immediate, but it took time. So on a positive note, do you also believe that if, if, if bad association ruins good habit, then good association creates great habits? That's true. And, and so because you're already in this negative environment with, with the lady, and then you have challenges at work, it almost like it just uh, put more fire into that negative environment and it just kind of added on stuff. How long was that relationship before you let go of it? That relationship went on for probably six months. Uh, you know, I, like I said, um, well, I had the job for six months, so it went. It went like uh, six months after after the, when I uh, first met her. I mean, so it was like a year. It was like six months of working, and then six months of being uh, in in the constant you know chaos with her so mr john this was just in between six to twelve months of your life yes. and that pretty much changed everything yes indeed but it was not it was just six to twelve months basically you know like i said i started i met her and then she moved in my house and then you know a few weeks later she's uh, doing drugs and i'm doing drugs with her and then i lose my job and then Six months of of uh, like formation of you know selling all my possessions you know to support my habit 
and I, I got uh, unemployment, so all the money that I got, I wasn't paying bills. I was just, you know, getting high with it. So I had a lot of a lot of possessions. So I, I figured my addiction with, you know, selling my house and I had a real estate uh, real estate property, 401k. I probably went through uh, six hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of income, uh, lost income and property and stuff. So it cost me a lot of money to support that habit. So drug is really that intense. I could never, I never thought it would be just like that because when I hear people having some challenge with it, I feel in my understanding five minutes ago <laughs> that it took time, but it's, it does not. It doesn't have to take time for it to have a hold on you. Could you explain a little bit of that, please? Well, like I said, the, the drug, the cocaine, is, is this, uh, your body wants to get craves it. And it costs a lot of money to buy it, and uh, it doesn't really last very long. And then I was supporting other people's habits, so I was just, I was just trying to run away from reality, and it just kept getting deeper and deeper in the hole. Um, what was your mindset knowing that your family was there to help you out? Because I know for sure there's a lot of like family members that really, truly, deeply with love and care wants to help their family members to get out of that rut, to get out of that hole. Right. Well, when it first happened, like my daughter that lived in Knoxville, she tried to help me. You know, her and her husband came up and they wanted to get me into rehab, and I wouldn't have anything to do with it. So I didn't want any help at all. And then my sister, when I moved to Colorado, she tried to get me in a program, which wasn't really a program. It's just you call in and, and you have a color. And I didn't, I told it through that. So it wasn't, uh, I didn't try to get help until I went further to the hole and I, I had to cry out myself. And a friend told me about the rescue mission, and, then, and that's when I got help. So I was down at the bottom of the barrel and had nowhere else to do. So so your mindset was at the point it was closed, has nothing to do with the help. But you, you recognized and understood that they were helping you. Yes. But, the, but at the moment, that did not motivate you to get yourself out of the hole. No, when you're when you're addicted to drugs, all you want you always think about is getting high. You know, you want to get your next high. You don't care about paying bills or anything else. You just you want to get that feeling. Even though, from your heart, you also love. Of course, you love your daughter. You have your sister that's helping you out. But it's just that that was not registering in your mind and your heart. You know, if I was just focused like a shark going for a man. You don't think you want to get that drug. And how long were you in that period of like just being on your own, going through the next, I guess, high? And how long was that period? From 1999 till I got in the program at, at, at mid-2001. So about three and a half years, I was living on the streets. While living on the street, what was your, what was your thoughts? Like just through the, through the days of, of three and a half years before the change? Like just that time period. Well, thing is, you know, I went to day labor. You know, I went to work, got the money, and you know, paid my uh, rent at the motel, so I'd have a place, and I try to save money, and then I'd end up falling almost all the time. You know, the money I had left over, I'd end up going for drugs. Was it a mindset, or was it uh, the help that got you to switch, like really switch your life to to better? The better is this. When I got the help because I couldn't do it on my own. I needed structure. And, uh, you know, I tried, like I said, I go a day or two or a week or whatever. 
and somebody'd knock on the door and they'd have some, some uh, you know, alcohol or whatever, and I didn't have to go back to the door, man. You had the desire for change. You had the desire to get better, but you just didn't know how and didn't have the help at the time. I didn't have the willpower, you know, and I didn't have the knowledge of the help. I didn't really know about the rescue mission until I went to the bottom of the barrel. So, Mr. John, what was the difference between getting help from your sister and daughter versus getting help from the organization? Well, I didn't really want the help from my sister and my daughter at the time. You know, I, I just wanted to keep doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to be satisfied myself. I was selfish. So I was just thinking about me. I wouldn't think about anything else. Would it make a difference if your sister or your daughter three years later reach out to you again for help? Would it be the same or would it be different? Well, I mean, I, I, I just found out about the third party organization. I was just ready at that time. If they would have came to me at that, that week or whatever, I'd been ready for the structure. The bottom line is they have to desire it. Right, because I had to be ready to it for to accept it at that time. You know, I could take you take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, and that's how it was with uh, an addict. You know, they have to be ready. They have to go through what they have to go through. They're sick and tired, and uh, you know, re ready to surrender. It's like a battle with the army. You know, you get beat up so bad, you're ready. You know, what I'm saying as long as you have money in your pocket and everything, you know, you're gonna do what you want to do. As soon as you get broken. That's when the time that uh, you allow to get healed. What triggered your desire is because you're tired of being tired. I was just tired of my lifestyle. I was tired of hearing gunshots in the middle of the night. I was just tired around the people that I work with, uh, you know, people manipulating. You know, you go through four uh, uh, steps, uh, four steps for an addiction. The first one's recreational, which I went through. The second one's a user where you're using every day. The third one is a, uh, manipulator where you're uh, conning people out of money and everything and I was around a lot of people that were doing that and then the last stage is kill still destroy so I knew if I stayed in the situation that eventually I would be manipulating people and I would be robbing people or whatever to get drugs so I didn't want to go through those four stages you know the, the, two, the first two stages was enough for me Hello everyone, uh, that was the first segment uh, take with uh, Mr. John Ware. Uh, please stay tuned to the next segment and it's coming up and we'll find out how he maintained and now empowering others to change their lives for the better. Thank you again for listening. Until next time.